Hey folks, welcome back to the show. I have to record an intro for this episode or else everybody's going to be really confused. This was such a cool story. The whole thing puts a big smile on my face. I was in Boston for a speaking gig and was out to dinner with some colleagues uh, from SIAA as well as uh, NBS, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. And we went to a steakhouse in uh, the Back Bay neighborhood in Boston. And our server, the guest in this episode, was just the most magnificent person. He, he delivered such a fun, engaging dining experience. It, it stuck out in such a big way. I knew I had to have this guy on the pod to talk about delighting your customers, your clients, and creating an amazing experience like he did. So go ahead and sit back and relax and uh, enjoy this episode with someone that you definitely never heard of because he's a server and pursuing a tech career in Boston, and he is Georgie Nenov. So here we go. Let's roll that bumper. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're gonna have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. And I have an absolute curveball for you today. I promise in, in 120 something episodes, you have never heard or seen anything like this. First off, for those of you that are watching us on YouTube, uh, welcome. I'm glad we started doing that finally. Finally, haven't been recording video this whole time because of uh, issues with my setup, but here we are looking right at you there. And you can see this guy here with me, and none of you know him. I promise you, you don't, because I didn't know him until last Wednesday, and he is about as far away from the insurance industry as you can get. Uh, my guest for this episode is Georgie Nen Nenov. Ninov, did I say it right? Nenov? Nenov, Ninov. Nenov? It doesn't matter. Okay. Guys, this is the most wild story. Get this. We are in Boston for the SIAA annual meetings. And I, I was up there because I was one of the keynote speakers for the conference. And we went to dinner. Thank you to Brett Messelheiser and our friends at Nationwide Brokerage Solutions for a fantastic dinner. We walked down the street from the hotel, went to Abe and Louie's, which is a, just a phenomenal restaurant in the Back Bay neighborhood of Boston. And this guy right here, this joker right here, comes up to our table and begins what I can only describe as an absolutely masterful display of customer service and experience. This guy, and 
I waited tables for six years, guys. I paid for college waiting tables. This guy right here on screen with me is the best server I have ever had in my entire life, my 39 years on this planet. And I kid you not, he's he's in the middle of his shtick of like getting us to places we didn't even know we wanted to go. And we're going to talk about some of those things that you did, Georgie, in a little bit. But I'm sitting here thinking to myself, my God, this guy's amazing. This, who is this guy? I literally said that probably three or four times after Georgie left our table. I leaned into my friends and was like, where did this guy come from? This is such an amazing experience. And, and, and Stephanie Wingo, who's from Texas as well, she's like, you have got to get him on your podcast. And I was like, Stephanie, that's an amazing idea. I absolutely have to have him on my podcast. And Georgie was kind enough to accept to take some time off. On your day off, man, I know how big days off are as a server. So anyways, enough of me rambling. Georgie Ninoff, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having us. Hello there, um, James Hill. Thank you very much again for the invitation. It's an absolute honor, but I've never actually had to uh, be on anyone's podcast. I never thought I'm going to make it this far. But again, again, I do uh, come a long way. And again, thank you so much for all the kind words and your generosity on the low. Uh, you know, that man, by the way, that we did a, we did a, uh, we're celebrating. So we mentioned, you mentioned earlier that you have an Allison at home. So I do have one too, and it happened to be our, anniversary, eight-year anniversary of our first date, actually, a few nights ago. So that did pay for dinner, which I really, really appreciate to you and your team. Uh, so, uh, yep, go ahead, sorry. No, no, you're good. I would be remiss if I didn't thank Brett Messelheiser from NBS for a fantastic dinner. You can thank Brett. That was, uh, I was a guest for the experience just like you were, apparently. So let me ask you a couple of questions here, Georgie, just to get everything kicked off, because I don't think it's out of place for me to say uh, you're not from around here. Your accent is magnificent, and you are from the great country of Bulgaria, right? Yes, sir. Not Tell by us that size, story. By contribution. There you go, man. Well, what was the story of being born and raised in Bulgaria, and how did you come about in your early years, and what was the process like coming to America? And love to hear that part. To be honest, so... My journey started about 10 years ago, but the first time when I was in America was actually 11 years ago. It was, so it was a product of, uh, I was in college, this is my third year in college, right? And uh, my friends were coming at this J1 student visa for, you know, a few summers in a row. Uh, from, and uh, one night we had way too many drinks, which not exactly a strange story. A couple of Eastern European students had way too many drinks. They were like, hey man, you want to come to America next summer? I was like, gee, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, well, I would love to. I've always wanted to visit, to be honest, because, you know, we grew up with American movies, and you see how, you know, American people live, and it looks pretty awesome. Like, I always wanted to live there. My sister always encouraged me as well, you know, to improve my English and all that. So I was like, yeah, sure, let's go. So we're going the next morning, Miami. This is after probably 14 hours of really intense drinking of straight liquor shots, and we went to this, um, remember, it's called Work and Travel Agency, and they're like, hey, I want to go to America. I'm like, you're at the right spot. Good. So they gave us a piece of paper with a whole bunch of different jobs that they have location, different job locations across the uh, U.S. And they're like, yeah, this is what we have. And for those of you who don't know, J-1 visa is a temporary visa, three working months with one month of tourists. Some people tend to work to the tourist months. This is obviously between all of us uh, here on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, so I was not hungover but still drunk and i looked at it so i was like oh yeah beach merlot beach 
Sounds good. Sure, let's go. Zero research. We I called my system like, hey, sister, I'm gonna need fifteen hundred. I'm gonna need to borrow, pardon, fifteen hundred dollars from you, uh, for this exchange swim program. And I went, and there I was next summer, Merle Beach. We got on the so first impression of the U.S. Absolutely amazing. Number one, Snickers taste way better here. Number mm. two, Jack Daniels, not even remotely close to that crap that they uh, uh, give us back home. It, those are the two purchases that I made. Third impression, not so great. Now, when you look at the map of America, uh, Washington, D.C. to South Carolina is this much on the map, right? And we get into Greyhound bus station when you have to, uh, on a Greyhound bus, that's not exactly this much. That's 16 hours. With two, it, it was a very interesting experience. So that was near uh, Merrill Beach. Now, where I really decided that I really want to stay in America was, I remember getting my first paycheck, and uh, I was in Walmart, and I saw it says my first paycheck was two hundred and sixty dollars. I was in Walmart, and I bought like this much chicken breast, this many like a oh. huge pack of that. I was like, oh my god, this is great! And I went to the cash. I was like, hey, there must be some sort of mistake. This is my weekly, not monthly paycheck, and this is how much chicken I can purchase to that. She's like, yeah, isn't that crazy? It's so expensive. I looked at this lady and literally hug her and kiss her on the cheek, and I was like. Are you kidding me? This is great. I, you tell me that I can purchase all this food and for that money, and you tell me that this is expensive. So I went there, I filled up a, a whole cart for $120. I was the happiest person in the world, man. I grew up man. in poverty where, you know, area I would come from. Anyway, so this is, then I went back. Then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the same exchange for program next summer. And I came in 2014. I was like, I want to live here. But so South Carolina is not exactly the best place for someone from my area where I specifically come from, especially with that specific accent for, I think you understand explainable reasons. Mm -hmm. So a friend of a friend of a friend knew somebody in Boston from my country. He's like, hey, we're going to help you, you know, if you want to stay. And we did. And uh, so this is how I got here. Uh, I got into a complete stranger's house, a friend of a friend of a friend. I stayed there for a month. I I got a job actually next week. Then I had to change accommodations. I was basically homeless for a while. Hmm. Stayed here for a week. Then I stayed for a year in Boston. And uh, then I moved to Hawaii. Another friend was like, hey, do you want to come here? I'm like, yeah. So I moved to Hawaii. spent there about a half a year. Then I flew back to Boston because I realized that, well, West Coast people, they're too nice. I just want that, <laughs> you know, New England grumpiness, you know, the inability to smile and all that stuff. It just one of those things that I wasn't necessarily... Uh, I was like, ah, what's wrong with these people in Hawaii? Everyone's smiling, all this good weather. Ah, this is terrible. So going back to New England, uh, I was actually pretty close to come, like, to move back to Bulgaria because I was having a little hard time adjusting. You know, typical Eastern European, Adidas track suits, fanny packs, weightlifting, boxing, wrestling. Very <laughs> opinionated. Get into arguments with ATMs and stuff. It's it's tough, man. I got to tell Then I met my Allison, and she's uh, from Wisconsin, Packers fan. Again, no one's perfect. Uh, but um, we went on one day to October 13th, 2016. We've been together ever since. She introduced me to culture. We were married four months later. And mm. we've been together ever since. And I got to tell you, that's my Allison literally changed my life. And I literally have to say I'm living the American dream. And, uh, yeah, I worked for the longest time in the North End. Well, longest time, four years in the North End. Then I switched to recruiting. That was excellent experience actually actually too that uh maybe kind of give me a pointer of 
like what career path I would like to get into, like what career path I would like to take, which kind of led me into tech. Then I found a job at Abel Lewis, which is, uh, needless to say, it pays, which I remember, so you just mentioned that you had school pay for. So that's what Abel Lewis is doing to me right now, although I'm going to Harvard Extension, which is one of the 11 or 12 Harvard schools. It's Harvard Extension, though, so it's, you know, that's basically the Harvard for poor people and immigrants. But um, it's just Harvard, so I'm like, sure. It's a master's degree of software engineering. I was always good at coding growing up. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, right here now, and I'm very, very happy, actually, and super fortunate to be here today. I've been a very proud American citizen since 2019. Thank God. and got stressed at one point. Man. I thought that you guys are not going to let me stay here forever, but uh, it's been amazing. And, you know, I mean, coming in here, again, I grew up in a small town. There's no more than 5,000 people living there close to the border of Turkey. I forgot to tell you about this, actually. It's a pretty fun story. So uh, it's called El Hovo. That's the name of my town. Literally translated in English, is that means town of Christmas trees. The story is not even as sexy as Christmas trees or kind or jolly. It's very sad, actually. So uh, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Bulgaria, we had a little bit of an issue with the Ottomans for about 500 years. So last time we tried to you know, become my hometown because we are pretty, it's, it's a pretty tough area, meaning everyone is pretty much badass, but everyone has an excellent sense of humor because life sucks and might as well just have fun with it, right? Uh, so last time they tried to, basically become free from the Ottomans, they failed terribly. So around the town, there was like those similar to Christmas trees, but they did name them Christmas trees at the time. So uh, the Ottomans, unfortunately, chopped all of these trees to lay them down on the ground so they can chop all of the soldiers' heads. And this is how we got the name of my hometown. It is a cute, it's a, it's a very sad story, but it's actually really cool. So uh, we are 25 miles away from the border of Turkey, and this is the most... The whole town was a military operation, meaning all of the, the town was built in order to give accommodation to all of the soldiers and basically all of the military personnel that were uh, in the military base. So my dad's a former military guy. Anyway, so unfortunately, like a lot of Eastern, former Eastern Bloc countries, poverty is, you know, a thing and it really sucks. I would wish I would never go back to it, hopefully. And uh, it's not uncommon for people not to have money for that's why I'm so... I won't say proud, but I feel that, you know, I've achieved a whole lot by now. And yeah. I feel amazing being here and just doing what I do because it's amazing, man. <laughs> it really is. Man, your energy is just almost intoxicating. It's like the your presence and the way you're a big guy. I'm a big guy. Like, we're two big yeah. guys. And you come in, your personality is just so over the top. It was beautiful. I'm, I, I, I talk to people for a living. I, I, I talk to people and I sell stuff. It's, it's what I do. And I, I knew instantly that you were someone that I needed to get to know more. It's like, how, I'm in Boston at a restaurant. How in the world do I get more of this guy? So for my audience who's used to listening to these episodes is like, this is the strangest episode of this podcast ever. Like, what a random story. Yeah, it is a random story, and I love it because Georgie, you are you're one of a kind, my man. I, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about the way that you craft this persona, this character, because your energy 
that night at Abe and Louie's was off the charts. I mean, you cracked three jokes in the first 10 seconds you were at our table that night. What What is it about, and I, you just mentioned it a little bit from your backstory in Bulgaria of having a rough time growing up and it, it creates a sense of humor, a little bit sarcastic, a little bit dark, but a really fantastic, very finely tuned sense of humor. I guess that's part of it probably. How did you develop this persona, this character that you get to present to your audience at a, a very upscale restaurant in Boston? Tell me that story. Like, how did that come about? Well, how can I say it? So I've always been a, a joker because, again, uh, when you grew up in such a harsh environment, surrounded by people, like, you really need to, like, that's what I did for myself. Like, you really need to start laughing at life a little bit because it doesn't seem well. And if you start to look what's wrong with things, you have to see what's what's right with things and people, as a matter of fact, because uh, it's very easy to find what's wrong with things or to complain because that's not going to take you anywhere. Now, if you take all these negative things, however, and if you decide to really put them in something positive, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm like the least skipping person that you probably spoke with this week, because I'm sure you obviously you speak with a lot of people. Uh, I think you can only benefit from that, and you can just make people laugh. It creates a better environment. You're gonna have a much easier way. Just gonna, you know. And the other thing is, so how do I maintain this energy? But I exercise a lot. So I'm a big guy. I'm 300 pounds actually. I exercise five days a week. I like to go for long distance runs. I do uh, three to four, eight to 12 mile runs. And as a Eastern European with a track suit, I love to squat a lot. Well, and just go to the gym and all that stuff. On the side, I do two days of boxing uh, or wrestling just once a week. Otherwise, if I don't get my ass kicked at least once a week, I'm starting to get a little too seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to be able to laugh at yourself and to, I don't want to stay humble. That's a bad word. But just to remind yourself that number one, you're mortal. Number two, you should not take yourself too seriously. There's absolutely no point because you can learn your whole life. Mm. Um, and then uh, the other thing with the joke, so with the jokes and like just my general approach, when I go to the table, like honestly, so I have an accent, as you know. So, and that's from a, you know, former server to a, you know, a current server. When you have an accent, you go to a restaurant, you don't really get the best service because guess what? People will be a little concerned about the gratuity when you, you know, bring them the bad news, when they bring you the bad news in the little uh, check presenter and you sign that in. And when you do the math, the leftover, when you have a little bit of an accent, just because culturally certain coaches are not used to, you're not going to get good service. However, even at the times that I do get good service, because I like to approach the team like, listen, I'm, I look weird. I have a track suit. I'm not properly dressed and all that stuff, but I will take care of you. And I do promise that. And when I say I do take care of it, I like to get into details. It's not going to be 20%. This is if you just bring me the food. If you say hi, smile, and that's it, we're going to have a great time. What I do not like, and I'll never complain about this, is a stiff service. You go into a restaurant and say, like, hey guys, how are you today? Or do you need help? I'm like, listen, man, they don't need help. You're at Abe and Louis. You do not, like, you need a drink. You need some food. A couple of jokes will be nice, if not, but you're crushing it in life. You don't need help. Help is the last thing you need, number one. Number two, you want to give people a different experience. You want to give them something for them to talk about or to invite you in a podcast, right? So, so, so remember to come back and just genuinely for them to have a good time, to have a good laughter because life is really short, man. And when you part pay, especially when you pay a certain price for something, you got to get the most pristine service. Now, when I say service, 
let's distinguish these things. So there's service and hospitality. You can get service from ATM. You can get service from anywhere, so from your cell phone and all that stuff. But let's give it an example. So you buy an iPhone or whatever phone you get. You don't buy it just for the Apple phone. You buy it for the Apple Care. Care. You have to care. That's very important. You buy it for the service. Now, service is the act of taking the order, smile me well, ideally, right? And bringing and getting it right. That's the service. The hospitality comes in like, hey, man, you know, like, like asking them questions, knowing your audience, yep. them, like observing them, see what they like. I hate to, another thing that big, a, a big piece of mine is like, several, hey, guys, you know, like, how are you? Welcome to Aben Lewis. My name is It's about them. It's not about you or the restaurant. Our chef recommends, hold on, you don't know these people, man. You got to ask them what they like so you can recommend them. Because the way I feel about it, I'm coming to your restaurant. This is about me now. It's about us, too, because obviously we're going to interact. But it's about me. So I want you, and, and, and listen, your chef can recommend me whatever he wants or he likes to, and that's perfectly fine. I'll give this to him. He's the mastermind behind all of this operation. I'm perfectly fine with this. However, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the one who's going to pay the bill again when you bring me the bad news and the check presenter. So it's about me. It's not about what you recommend. So let me tell you what I like, and then you can recommend me stuff. And we might have a great time, right? Especially when you pour a little bit of alcohol in this. People tend to have a better time. Just a general observation. Uh, so if I have to really put it in a nutshell, but number one, when you, you want to really surprise them, don't overstep, but make an, like, you know, a really nice first impression because there's no nothing like expression. Don't make it stiff. Be different. Then ask them questions. Get to know them better. See if these people have been there before. Ask them what they like. Because if somebody is a vegetarian, vegan, or gluten-free, you probably shouldn't offer him to get the Caesar salad with extra crispy croutons. If you have this amazing grana padano and parmesan cheese crust, no, that's not how that's going to unfold, right? Or mm. something like that, popovers. No, it's not. Ask them. It's about them. These people are here. You show them hospitality. You're going to do the service. If you are at this place, you're going to provide the service. The, the Apple Care part comes in here, though, whatever, you know, Google or Android users, is you, you have to be genuine. You have to show them your hospitality. Sorry, but go ahead. I really no, man, there is so much there, man. You've got an entire podcast. So just in that one monologue of what you just did there, the, um, you know, from the moment that you walked up to the table, the first impression was there. And, you know, folks, for, for us here in insurance land that, that are running our agencies and talking to clients, my favorite thing about what Georgie just shared was customizing the experience to the individual and not making any assumptions at all, but asking, hey, what do you like? What are you into? You know, do you have any allergies? You know, do you have any food sensitivities that I should be aware of? You know, the insurance version of that is, hey, you know, what's what's been your experience? And what are you looking to accomplish by talking with our office? And what are your goals from this conversation? And, uh, you know, Georgie, one of the things that you did absolutely perfectly was the upsell. You did it two or three times during the conversation. And uh, I, I think my friend Stephanie Wingo will probably listen to this episode and she'll remember exactly how this went. Um, Stephanie, and forgive me, it was another lady at the table who was from, uh, I believe it's over in East Texas, like the Longview area. Um, but she and, and Stephanie declined an entree. And they were just going to get some from the uh, from the appetizers and from the, some of the shareables. And you were like, you look like you all like steak. You're from Texas. You like steak, don't you? And someone was like, well, yeah, I like steak. It was like, 
Tell you what I'm going to do. Julie, you were going to share a steak. It's going to eight ounce filet. And you looked at them to get the consent from them when they gave the little nod of the head. And you're like, all right, eight ounce filet, medium rare. And you pointed at them was like, do you like medium rare? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, we like medium rare. It was like, all right, I'll bring it out on two plates. You guys are good. Then it was just like, and I'm sitting there going, holy crap, this guy just sold a steak to two people who didn't want a steak. But they do want a steak, but they didn't know they wanted a steak. And George, you just helped them get a steak. And after the steak came, they're just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. It was like, aren't you glad Georgie got you that steak? Because you weren't going to get a steak. You didn't even know you wanted it. But now you got it and you're happy Georgie did the thing. I was, I'm just sitting here as someone who talks to people and sells stuff. I'm just like, this guy's a freaking wizard. How did he do that? It was so smooth. You, you convinced them to do something that you wanted them to do to get that check average up. Knowing that it would benefit them, it wasn't like you were you know, like no. manipulating someone. You knew they were going to have a great experience with the steak, but you made the suggestion and you did the whole consultative thing, but you pitched them on the steak and they were really glad you did. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Talk to me about that. Like, What's your philosophy on engaging someone to do something they didn't know they wanted to do? Well, uh, the first thing is to me is all the, the verbiage, but so the way I look at it, this is uh, sales. We're not ever selling anything. Never. We don't, we don't sell stuff. Yep. We have a good time. And uh, we, we just uh, like all the money is made between the lines. It's nobody like you should. That's what I always say to people like sell, 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 sell. You're not selling stuff. You're in hospitality. You're in sales. You're obviously going to sell stuff, but you're not going to. And that's like, well, it's like the, the gist of this whole sales game. So you're going there and listen, nobody wants to eat food until they see the food in front of them. It's right there, right? And you in your head, don't like God, oh my God, I already ate three deals, but you're having one drink or two drinks. Your appetite comes up. You're gonna, your senses are gonna act uh, in this second activate as soon as you see your friend's steak, your other person that you, know, you decided to take the high route to not get the steak. Like, I'm like, I know how this works. I've done this for, and it's not about doing it for so long because I know people that have done this job or any sales job for a year, six months. And uh, I know people that have done this job for 20 years and they, oh man, I have uh, 20 years of experience. I'm like, yeah, but you have 20 years of bad experience. I can hmm. bring you my cousin who's done this in six months and he has more experience than you. Why? He's got six months of professional experience. Absolute rock star. He enjoys every second of the job and he knows that. But just think, Think like them. You're not selling them anything. You're just helping them to have a good time. It's not about the sale. sale. It's, it has nothing to do with it. You're, I, I haven't sold you anything. You came in. You tell me what you like. I knew that they're going to want to get at least a piece of the steak, even though they had a lot of it. Cause it's abs 
I'm 120% sure that my product is number one in Boston, right? Especially the filet. I absolutely love filet. They started with, okay, we're not going to have appetizers. We're going to have a little bit. I look at their plates. They ate more. They didn't want it to have too many drinks because this is too strong. That's why you finish the gimlet. Now, however, they did order the gimlet, didn't they? Exactly. Gimlet is absolutely amazing, of course. What a terrible waste of... There's two kinds of people. The one that drink, obviously, if you know it's a religious or cultural thing, I respect that. But uh, there's no such thing as too many drinks and too much food. No such thing as a d- person who doesn't like dessert. You have to see it, though. And when you're 120% sure that your product is amazing, these guys are going to remember this. Because a good experience is, you're not here for a good experience. You're here to get a great experience. This is what I believe separates uh, goods and average, like, you know, and mediocre to great salesmen, servers, you know, insurance, whatever you do, though. You have to give them a great time. And, again, you don't sell these people anything. Uh so one of the jobs that I had back in the day, I used, I used to work in sales. So it was real estate, but just an example for this. Uh, we used to do sell, like we sell unregulated agriculture and swamp land in Bulgaria, Eastern Europe in 2012, right, to British citizens over the phone. In less than a year, I become the number one salesman in the company. It's in Procom, it's on the resume that I sent you, but... Mm-hmm. How do I do that? My main account was a guy who ne- nobody wanted to even call because he was a shepherd, dude. He's a farmer who lives in the outskirts, like way out in the outskirts of London. That guy, so I had two conversations with him on the third one. He flew me from England to the UK, came and picked me up with his car. It was the creepiest, also the most like, exciting experience. This person bought so much, again, I was selling horse shit, realistically, I was unregulated agriculture and swamp land that he, number one, never saw. I never saw. I had absolutely no idea what it is. Though. But I was 100% convinced that this is something that he really wants to, uh, he really needs to. And he did it. He enjoyed it. He was happy with his investment. I was happy with his investment. I sold most of his plots twice afterwards. Though. Not the point, though. You understand, you have to more or less brainwash yourself that it doesn't matter how many objections people could give you about your product, your product is what you have to sell. And if you close every single door behind you and take every objection and tell this person or prove this person that you should get it from you because, number one, you're not offering service, you're not, he's not buying, you're not selling. You offer him your expertise, your genuine knowledge of uh, the product and how the market will eventually go. If you convince him that, you're doing a good job. Now, if you really want to do a great job, so that's here, this is where the different parts of salesmanship continue. You're actually going to, to, to make a friend of this person, and you're going to call him for things not just to sell. You're actually going to make a lasting relationship. You're going to go get him a drink. You're going to get to know him a little better. You're going to ask him not how is your day, but exactly what did you do today? Where did you go to eat? Well, how is the food? How is the weather? You want him to talk to you. That's number one thing. Sorry. Go ahead, bud. I don't want to. No, no, you're good. What's the second thing? Uh, You're on a roll here. Keep going. The the second thing, bud, so the way you make people like is actually, um, I took master class and it's very interesting. I think it's. Chris Wolf, I can't tell you the exact name, but it's a masterclass. He's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Black Swan. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, I believe it's an investment company, but I'm not sure. He, he trains people for sales or whatever. That guy's an ex-FBI agent for negotiations. He never so split he the difference. Is, yes. Yeah. So that guy is. That, that's uh, the book he wrote. Uh, 
Did she? I have not read it, but but I did uh, Chris, purchase the oh manifest. Oh my gosh! No, I'm Chris liking Va- his name. Va- no, Voss, Voss, yes, Chris Voss. Yep, so the OSS. Voss. Uh, so the, the very interesting thing: not the water. Water is bad. You should never buy money. You should never spend money for water. It should be uh, it should be given to anybody. Sorry, distraction as always. Um, now, so uh, the German explaining mirroring, but so you basically what you do is when when a person is asking you a question or they're speaking about themselves. And no matter how annoying that is in the sales world, but you answer with a question, and the question needs to have one specific word. Obviously, that takes uh, practice, but that this person used in his uh, in his question or whatever he was speaking about. Yep. If you do that, you let people to talk about themselves, and naturally, remember that. Um, sorry, I'm going to use an analogy from what I just said about the steak. So you have to see it in, to want it. Same thing here, but similarly, uh, in this particular case, so if you have to, uh, you, you really need to, um, you know, uh, listen to this person to know what he does, repeat it, and naturally, as they speak about themselves, they get just purely physically and in any of this sort of way more comfortable with you. So they're much more likely to purchase things from you because they do understand that, uh, like, they speak about themselves, they, they reveal information. Naturally, they will trust you more than any other person. Why? Well, they just told you their life story. And if you listen good enough, you're going to understand exactly what to say to get a second call, a third call. You can close them on the first call, too. It's not a, it, it's, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities, but obviously that comes with years, and you really need to know your audience. You know, we live in different times. Markets are, I don't want to say difficult because there's no such thing. They're a little more challenging, but if it's easy, who's going to like it? I mean... And yep. that's really it, but it's really I, I love that we get into me. Chris Voss and never split the difference. I've, I've read that book many times. I'm a huge fan of the Black Swan Group. I've, I've actually had one of the, the coaches in the Black Swan Group as a guest on this podcast. Wow. Uh, he's a, oh a former God. police officer uh, from Houston, oh. and uh, he was a police detective Ouch. in Houston. And now he's a, a coach and a, a mentor with the Black Swan Group. But it's it's very interesting that you bring up mirroring because labeling and mirroring and tactical empathy are three things that I use every single day. And it's, it's foundational to how I exist as a person in sales. So it's like when you, when you said, uh, you know, Chris, something, he was a hostage negotiator, but I am like, well, it's never split the difference. And then blanked on the Chris Voss thing. I can't believe I forgot Chris Voss's name. Please don't tell him that. That's okay. <laughs> it's a difficult, honestly, it's one of those names that it's not common knowledge. It's like interesting where when you know it, you know it, but you tend to forget it afterwards, which is a pretty good trick, actually. You don't want to remember anyone's name for way too long. You want to remember it for the right amount of time. Now, the the meal did what it did, and it was a Great experience overall. The the filet was absolutely phenomenal. It was perfectly cooked. It was crispy on the outside, very flavorful, an amazing filet for sure. And then we got to the point of dessert, and Brent, who was sitting to my right, was like, "I don't, I don't have any room for dessert." And I'm sitting there going, "I'm not really a dessert guy, and I don't really have any room for dessert either." So we had all decided we weren't going to get dessert. The table had already talked about it, and then Georgie walks up. And he's like, hey, guys, what are we doing for dessert tonight? Are we going to do the, 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 cookie, the cookie ice cream float thing? Are we going to do the bread pudding? What, what, what are we like? What are we into? And all of us kind of looked at each other like, 
Ooh, that, well, I'm rethinking that no dessert thing. That's a, whoa, that actually sounds good. And next thing you know, two desserts are on the table and I'm feeling like, I just got played, but I'm glad. I'm glad I got played. I didn't think I was gonna have dessert tonight. I'm not even really particularly a dessert guy, but here I am putting a spoonful of ice cream in my mouth with caramel pralines or whatever the things they were. It was like, Georgie, you son of a gun. You you sly dude, Jerry. Georgie, you got us again, man. You got us on the steak with the girls sharing the filet and you got us with desserts on the table. Oh, this guy's good. Dang it. So. Honestly, so I would say you kind of said it yourself, but. You're not a dessert guy, but you're definitely a skillet cookie guy. So those Ooh, are man. two vast different things. So a lot of people don't understand it. Like, okay, you go in and ask your whole, would you like to have a dessert? But you don't really give them options. What do you have? Like, I hate to like, hey, can I get you a drink? No, no, no. You got to be specific, though. You got to be, I'm like, can I get an espresso martini? Can I get a gimlet? They're like, well, what do you like? I like it all. Sometimes I walk in a bar and be like, hey, can I have two glasses of alcohol? And they're just going to look at me again with my tracksuit because I am Eastern European. I want over 30 Adidas tracksuits, which actually did get gentrified when I bought me. I started buying me Lululemon, which Uh-oh. they just don't fit, man. The, the, the materials are amazing, but triple extra large, hard on the legs. Never mind, back on those. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's just one of those things like uh, you don't like dessert, but you do like bread pudding or skillet cookie. And that, uh, you know, same way Goldschmidt's like insurance, for instance, though. Uh, so people don't say, oh, I do have health insurance to get it from my wife. Yeah, seriously, health care in America is absolutely. But do you have life insurance? What happens if tomorrow you get in a car accident? Do your wife get in a car accident? Like, you don't think about these things. People don't know that they need it until they actually do. So what do you do? You call them. You explain to them the process, how very little have to pay, and what a huge uh, return they will have on their initial fraction of, of the investment that they can actually get money back. Just because they're not used to the scenario they're not educated they don't know what's going on so and and there you go you're likable you're bubbly you make people comfortable you educate them because they know what's going on and again that sounds kind of like cliche by the book but at the end of the day that's, that's what you do you're not selling them anything you're making their life easier you're basically consulting them about a service or like something that it, they, they need they just don't know it yet until they see it and this is when you actually, uh, you know, make the so-called sale. It's a bad word. I'm sorry. You're not selling anything. You're helping these people. Yeah. Because, okay, even if you're selling parsley and onions, I don't know, that was just completely random, by the way, uh, you, somebody will need it, right? you got to yeah. find that somebody, tell him why does he need it and why your parsley and onion is the best. Or not even that, just make him like you as a person. And the rest is kind of... I don't know. You know, I I would I would push back just a little bit on the whole not selling thing because I think everybody's selling 24-7-365. Everybody's selling. I don't shy away from the whole selling thing because when you're selling something, to your point, you gotta believe in your product, of course. And in in our world, there is no tangible product. If I were selling delicious filet steaks, my life would be a lot easier. Unfortunately, I'm selling protection and I'm selling a promise that something will happen in the future when you have a bad day, when there's an accident, if there's an injury, if there's you know something devastating financially happens. But everybody's selling. It's just the question is, who's the right buyer? And I mean, to your point, aligning the needs and the wants with whatever it is that you're selling really is the whole game, right? Because if somebody walks in, and, and you said it earlier, if, if someone's a vegan, you're not going to show them the steak menu. 
because obviously they're not going to get a stake because they're, they're not, there's no alignment there. But for someone who is from Texas and, and loves anything that used to be a cow, then by all means, come on. So well, there's some vegetables that are grown on bone with ligaments. Those yeah. are delicious. They usually move, especially in Texas. I've got to say, best steak in the world. There's absolutely no... I don't care what people say about Wagyu and all that stuff. I tried it all. It's good. It's not great. It has to be corn-fed. I'm really, really sorry. And I tried the grass-fed stuff, and I think it's absolutely amazing. But the corn-fed stuff just, oh, my God. It's hmm. an explosion of deliciousness in your mouth. I don't care where you're raised or whatever you do. If you had a really good corn-fed steak, it turns into an instant religion. Boom, that's mm. it. You're you're locked for life. But again, this is I really love meat. So um, again, but so I'm not saying the salesmanship. So uh, to me, it's all about the wording. I don't want to say that I'm because I do have courses like sell, sell, sell. So I'm like, you don't sell. No, no, no. You make a present. Like for instance, uh, on my first job, the interview that I mentioned back on the sales job, I was like, sell me this pen. I was like, why would I sell you this pen? It's a very outdated technology. What are you gonna do with this pen? Let me. Listen what I have for you, though. So let me just sell you uh, like a plot of land that you can make a lot of money. And I'm going to give you this pen. I was talking of my gratitude that we really, really, you know, we make business. You have me as your like best man to call when you really want to make an investment. I don't need to sell you a pen. It's a terrible thing. I'm going to give it to you. However, I want to help you really make that money. I want to really make you help, like, uh, crush the next quarter and the next quarter. And you see, there's no exchange of money here outside of, uh, obviously, a minor detail of a transaction that's eventually going to wire or not. But mm-hmm. somebody else is going to take the opportunity. So either way, we're making favors to each other, and you're going to get a pen. So, And that's it, really. I don't know. But I, I like the verbiage about the salesmanship. Listen, uh, behind the scenes, uh, I think I, I like to consider myself a salesman because – Whatever you do, if there's no some sort, some form of a monetary and, uh, like, you know, like emotional gratification of this process, I'm sorry, but you're wasting your time, especially in this country. Nope. If you live someplace else where money doesn't matter that much, because I come from that sort of, and it's very annoying. I mentioned to that nine man, post-communist or like any form of communism is literally horseshit. I apologize for the French. It's not my other No, you're I'm free to do that user, here. No worries. It's, it's the worst thing that could possibly can happen to you. Let me give you an example. So my dad was a military guy and he wasn't even like really high up or anything, just like regular military. My mom used to work for a, um, for a factory for automobile, I'm sorry, this, for, for car parts. They were like being exported to Russia. It's just, it's terrible. So in my hometown, in our society, you cannot get ahead just because of the family that you come, at the time, now it's definitely more free, but me growing up, uh, we abolished communism in 1989, which I happened to be, uh, actually, uh, I was born this year, they call us, uh, so every person that was born after this is called the, the kids of democracy, but we still had the mentality, and people still have it back home, so you cannot go ahead, you cannot get ahead, you can't get a job, because you come from a certain family, it doesn't matter how hard you try, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're still going to do what your probably parents did, or or something which is, very often overlooked. You have to be like a member of, like your parents have to be a member of members of the Communist Party. You had to be, you know, like born with status in order to get ahead. Hmm. Even get talked to if you want to become a lawyer or that. My sister right now is a lawyer back home. She literally, she literally puts a hundred times more work than other people. But guess what? She really enjoyed the process and she learned way more. That's why right now she's one of the really good, uh, I don't want to say popular because she's never been that person that, uh, you know, 
wants publicity or whatever. She's a very successful lawyer. And uh, I'm very determined that one day I will do the same thing, just uh, with like the direction that I'm going to. So, with with technology and doing something in, in the Boston area or somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, so Boston area is the second largest tech hub in the world. Obviously, uh, we have uh, Silicon Valley on top of the list. And by the way, surprisingly, Sofia, Bulgaria hmm. is number 10. Yeah, we have excellent with numbers, two, four, eight, we get it. So, but uh, especially so, programming. Just out of curiosity, is Boston kind of like Nashville and Hollywood, where if you go to Nashville, everybody's a singer-songwriter. If you go to Hollywood, everybody's an aspiring actor. If you go to Boston, is everybody aspiring tech founder? Like, what? what is that? So the markets here basically have two main, obviously there's, a whole bunch of insurance development just because well boston even though it's a big city it's a small town but especially the downtown area so people tend to know each other and there's two major industries here so you have tech and um uh, you have tech and then you have um a pharma just because all of that so my wife is actually in pharma she works for one of the top five so she used to work as a lab scientist for novartis and right now she's a business development of phenomenex which is Gotta give you some more details of that. Though. Anyways, it's one of the top ten. It's part of the one of the top ten uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world. Mm. So uh, basically, you get those are the, the the two two big things you do. It's uh, Kenmore Square. You get all the tech companies, all the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. This is what Boston and basically New England is. This is our well, our I can say our or our because I live here now. Things, but this is the bread and butter here. Uh, then you obviously you have the finance uh, sector, insurance is absolutely everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter if there's like not a huge insurance uh, company headquarters here. It's definitely wrong because everything has to be insured, especially with all the laws and different like regulations in Massachusetts. Yep. It's just a very, very uh, like industry, you know, dr dr very driven people heavy uh, area. The other thing is it is New England, so people tend to be a little more edgy, I think, or at least this is what just general observation by living, you know, in, in like two different states. They tend to look at uh, the Northeast, generally speaking, but especially New England, to be a little more, like, I don't want to say driven because that's not the right words. Uh, they're a little more forward and they, they, they really like to push hard or to, like to, to grind, yeah. to just try to do it uh, to, to, to do more, to, I like to call them, to take over the world, which obviously we all know it's not probably not going to happen, but it's good to believe in that. And sometimes surrounding with people like this can definitely give you an edge. It's important not to lose yourself, all right? We're not superheroes, we're just human. And uh, as such, I think we should be respectful to each other and not to, to think that someone is way ahead of everyone, because they probably are, but that's not what that's all about, so. Man. Georgie, I promised you uh, about a 45-minute conversation, and that's where we're at right now. As we land yeah, the plane, no, 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 no apologies at all, man. We are here to hear from you, and you have laid it out, man. I have loved this. As we start to wrap up the conversation, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to bring up? Any any question that I haven't asked that you wanted me to? Yeah, definitely. But so, um, my number one question, but uh, how did you uh, switch from having a restaurant job, you know, as a server such as myself to, to be where you're at right now? I did look briefly your LinkedIn, but I do have, you have some, you know, 
Very interesting resume. <laughs> what did you do? What what steps did you take? Very interesting resume is a polite way of saying I had no idea what I was doing for my job and career for a very long time. If you go back and listen to episode one of this podcast, I tell the story about how I went from being a very unhappy early to or mid to late 20s living in uh, not the best place in, in my life at that point. The city was nice. We lived in Nacogdoches, Texas, which is about two hours north of Houston. But I was doing a, a dead-end job, and I was going to graduate school, much like you are right now, and I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. And um, faith is important to me, and we did a lot of praying and talking to you know pastors and parents and mentors and whatnot, and ended up choosing entrepreneurship and open to scratch business and the insurance world. And and that journey has taken me here to where I am now. And I'm very grateful to have a company. And we have eight people that work here at RiskWell. And we started with zero employees and now we have eight. And we're a pretty small operation overall. We, we have a lot of fun uh, and we get after it and we serve our clients and solve problems. And that's that's basically the whole story. So it's not glamorous, it's just one step at a time, being faithful to the mission and, and being driven. Like you said, I'm not from the Northeast, but I got a lot of drive, baby. So, oh my God. Yeah. No, Texas is, I got to say, you know, sorry for jumping in, but Texas to me is uh, one of the most interesting driven people that I've seen actually, like probably one of the realest people that I've seen are from Texas. One of my really good friends is from a small town from, um, it's West Texas, but I'm talking about like way out there. Like there's literally no convenience stores and like 45 minute drive near proximity like his uh he just married his wife which is uh so she's a first generation her whole family is from china right so they hmm. just got married here actually from san francisco bay area i have to tell you the cultural difference you see the mom side of the family everyone is dressed up like uh traditional like red uh like you know traditional chinese dresses and the other side of the family west texas like uh, the Joe Moore dress up with the cowboy hats, the a very traditional Texas. But anyways, those are one of the toughest, most driven, successful people that I've seen in my life. But mm. and just everyone around him. So I have to say, Texas is a type of place that it, it's it's a very very different, uh, you know, like a entity, just the mentality of people. But it's those you guys are really really tough people. That's all uh, I want to say. Again, though, the guys around here, the mentality is that. Okay, we're tough, we're tough, we're tough, but if you have too much time, if you spend too much time saying that you're something, you have very little time of actually being or becoming better at it. So that's what I just want to make sure, like, the, the difference of what I actually mean by they're tough. <laughs> they talk about it, but Man. the numbers, people lie, numbers cannot. Whew. So, sorry, but thank you. That's, no. I just want to know. Georgie, this, is, uh, this has been an absolutely spellbinding conversation. I really appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time on your day off. And I, I, I don't I don't know what the long-term plan is. It sounds like you're very happy being at Abe and Louie. For those of you that haven't been, if you find yourself in Boston and you're looking for a fantastic meal, make yourself a reservation at Abe and Louie's. And if you're lucky enough, you just might be in Georgie's section. I bet if you call ahead and ask for Georgie's section, uh, you you may just find him there. Um, but man, this, this has been glorious. I really appreciate uh, uh, you you taking an hour. And uh, I'm not sure what the future holds for this, but I can guarantee you, you and I are going to stay in touch. And uh, I'm very interested to see what happens with the Georgia Nenov story. 
Well, I, I can tell right now the short term, I'm going to Bulgaria for two weeks after New Year's afterwards. I'm going to be 120% dedicated on job hunt for a tech sales job. Uh, long term, I would like to do what you're doing, work for myself, but it's going to be mostly software, and I'm probably going to uh, do like half and half. I have a few friends and engineers here, and uh, maybe some outsourcing from the motherland as well, because hmm. uh, I know some people there that are definitely willing to, to do a lot with you know, There's a lot of tech drive. developers and software engineers from Bulgaria. Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah, we're, I, I do it myself on the side, but just like a few projects just to get a, a bunch of extra cash. One day, probably I will have to special for work myself and I have to do it full time, yeah. uh, which I love doing it. So again, we'll see. But the next six months will be definitely very, very you know intense, active part in uh, job searching and well, hopefully. The, the next, when you decide that you're ready for me to leverage my network and get you interviews and, and get your foot in the door somewhere, I'm at your disposal, man. I, I want to do everything I can to help you reach your goals. I really appreciate that, but And again, I really appreciate you having me here today. I feel like a superstar. Having people that are with like Chris Voss and all that and, and Georgie from Bulgaria. Oh, my God, man. This is yeah. That's, uh, I'm definitely going to share this with my family. This yeah. is amazing. I, I haven't had Chris Voss on here yet, but I had somebody who works at his company. He's one, of, one of his him. trainers. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, yeah. So that's that's a pretty amazing story. Saying, again, uh, I cannot express how grateful I am. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasing pleasure to, to be today, to, to have me speak like someone that actually, I mean, I am going somewhere. I'm just not quite there yet. So. Now, man, th that's a perfect way to end this episode. Georgia, you and I will keep talking. And for those of you out there in listener land, this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. And uh, for those of you that are on YouTube, and maybe if you wanted to see the video version of this podcast, you can uh, check it out. The channel extension is just The James Jenkins. You can search it there and make it very easy to find. So that's it for now. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.